Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Thank you for the worship that we've had this morning. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for those online. Lord, touch our minds and our hearts. Open up our heart to your message. Because it's at your name, your wonderful, your powerful name, your mighty name, that the darkness trembles. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was back in 2010, 11 years ago, when President Barack Obama praised the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles for giving quarterback Michael Vick a second chance after having served 18 months in prison related to dog fighting. Now, you're thinking, why is Matt talking about politics? You're not supposed to talk about that from up here, but just stick with me. See, the, the message that President Obama gave was while he condemned the crime that Vic convict, was convicted of, he believed that people who paid for their crimes should have the opportunity to contribute to society again. And with that second chance, you may remember, Vic led the Eagles to the playoffs and won the NFL's comeback player of the Year Award. He would spend his time working with the Humane Society, speaking to school and community groups about the cruelty of dogfighting. Now, not everyone got on Michael Vick's bandwagon when he came back. Fox commentator Tucker Carlson said that Vick did not deserve a second chance. In fact, Carlson said this, I'm a Christian. But he killed dogs, and he should have been executed for that. Carlson went on to call Vic some creepy, rich, overpaid football player. Now, I don't know Michael Vic, and I don't know Tucker Carlson, but Tucker Carlson was right. Let that sink in for a second. Michael Vic did deserve to die, but Tucker Carlson deserved to die as well, just like I deserve to die and you deserve to die, because that is the penalty for sin. And, but see, that's where Carlson's Christian faith should have interceded, at least if he would have read the Gospel of John. We've been in this sermon series, the Gospel of John, the untold story, which gives us a story found nowhere else in the Bible, a story that has echoed down through history. It's a story of someone who deserved to be executed, but Jesus prevented it. Let me read it to you, beginning in chapter 8, verse 3, where it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? 
Jesus straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now this is a story all about grace. But it's not just about grace. You see, it is first a story of sin and corruption, decadence, and judgment. And then after all of that, it is then a story of grace. We tend to jump over those other things and just focus on the grace, but it's important to understand that first part. Because if you don't, grace won't be as amazing as it deserves to be. So let's talk about that decadence and immorality in this story for a second. And there's a lot of it to go around. First, you have those people, the sin of the people who brought the woman to Jesus. They didn't have to bring her to Jesus. They didn't have to heap shame and ridicule on her in front of everyone. They were simply using her. They didn't care if she was beaten, stoned, exposed, or humiliated. She was nothing to them. They were just cruel and unfeeling. They didn't even bother to bring the man who she was having sex with that she, with them to accuse him. They let him go because they didn't care about the act of adultery. They just wanted to set a trap. They were trying to set a trap for Jesus. That's all they cared about. And here was the trap. If Jesus said to them, yep, go ahead and stone her, well, then he would have gotten in trouble with the Romans because they were the only ones that had the authority to execute capital punishment. And he would have lost his reputation as being a friend of sinners. And if Jesus said, don't stone her, well, then he would have been accused of being soft on sin, being a liberal, being someone who didn't really embrace God's law and God's holiness. So in hopes that he'd fall for one option or the other, they set a trap, and they used this woman shamefully. But that's not the only sin we see here. The second sin we have is a sin of the people who actually caught her in the act. And the Bible is clear that she was indeed caught in the act of adultery. And that language is important because it's the basis for which they were making their legal claim. They said that they had the evidence, enough evidence to convict her. And it's important to note what was acquired in the culture of that day. 
You see, a suspicious husband couldn't just accuse their wife without reason. The law required the testimony of two witnesses who saw the couple lying together in the act of sex. Not only that, those two witnesses had to have seen it at the same time and the same place. So how was that done? Set up. This was a setup in order to try and set a trap for Jesus. But that's not all. The law also said that if you saw someone who was about to sin, it was your responsibility as a caring and compassionate person to stop them from sinning, to prevent the sin. So here you have two people getting ready to engage in adultery, and you have another group of people, at least two others, waiting, watching, not stopping them, but waiting and watching so that they could then accuse them according to the law. The witnesses and the people involved in setting her up, they too sinned. And then third, you have the sin of the man who she was having sex with. They were caught in the act and he too had been busted. Now obviously they let him go and it, because it wasn't needed for the trap. They didn't need both of them. But he certainly was a part of the sin. And then finally, we have the sin of the woman herself. And she did sin. Because the penalty being asked for was stoning. That tells us that she was probably engaged to be married and having sex with someone other than her fiancé. Because the penalty for an, that was the penalty for an engaged person caught having sex with somebody else was stoning. Now, unfaithful wives could also be sentenced to death, but the law didn't specify how they should be executed. So the fact that they said she deserved to be stoned would lead us to believe that she was engaged to be married to somebody and having sex with someone else. So who deserved to be stoned who deserved to die who had engaged in in such a heinous premeditated purposeful pursuit of sinful behavior before god that they deserved death all of them every single one of them had sinned and the penalty of sin was death they all deserved it just as all of us deserve it now let's pause there for a moment all of us every single one of us are sinners the penalty for our sin is death that's what we deserve if it were not for the grace of god that is what each and every one of us would face don't lose sight of that or else you'll also lose sight of just how amazing grace is. You see, apart from grace, we are all going to lose our lives. We're going to face the full penalty of our sin. Our only hope, our only hope is for a grace-filled, grace 
giving God. So what did Jesus do? How, what did he say to this woman? His words have almost become legendary, almost iconic. He said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Perhaps you've used those lines. I've used it when I've try, wanted to try and keep people from arguing the other side. Maybe not the best logical argument, but it works sometimes. See, not only did that simply mean that whenever whoever, whoever was completely guilt-free, sin-free, could bring a charge against someone. It doesn't mean that, much less execute the punishment. See, that would mean that only Jesus was trying, to, that he was trying to take down their whole legal system. But no one passes that test. No, Jesus was saying something more precise. He knew what all these people had done. He knew about the setup. He knew about the trap that had been set. He knew their hearts and their motives. But that's not all. He knew how many of them had sinned in this very way. And it's, let's be honest, it's an easy sin to get away with. Unless you're set up. So he says to them, if any of you, if any of you are truly sinless in this matter, sinless in terms of your own sexual life, sinless in terms of what you did to this woman, sinless in your heart that you've brought her here, then throw your stone. And no one did. Because no one was sinless in this situation. And see, that's the first grace lesson that Jesus gives us here. That we are to be grace givers. We often jump past that and feast on the grace shown to this woman. But the first lesson he gave was the, the grace that these people should have shown to her. Because here's the truth about most of us. We're eager to throw the stone to find fault in someone, to criticize someone, to throw someone under the bus. We're eager to do that. Every human being is marked by weakness. When you look at someone, you can safely assume that that person has weaknesses. They carry deep wounds. They've endured family dysfunction. They have lived day in day out with areas of temptation and struggle where they are fragile and broken. So Jesus is saying, only throw your rock if you don't have any of that in your life. Otherwise, drop that stone and throw grace their way instead. See, see them the way that Jesus sees them. You see, Jesus didn't see a woman caught in adultery. He didn't see her through the lens of her sin. He saw her in a different way. And that brings us to the grace that God gives to each and every one of us. Every one of us, everyone who's ever lived but Jesus, saw a woman caught in adultery. 
a moral failure, someone deserving of condemnation and death. But through that extension of grace, Jesus saw a precious child of God, someone who was struggling in their life, who had made many, many mistakes just like all of us. But he also saw someone who could get past those struggles, who could grow into the person that they were created to be. Let me ask you a question this morning. How do you think God sees you? Does he just see your sins, your failures, all the screw-ups in your life? Because let me tell you something about our Heavenly Father. He is the only one who can see you as you were created to be. We can't even see it, but he can. He doesn't just see your sin. He sees the dream for your life that birthed you into existence. You can wound him. You can grieve him. You can reject him. But he always has been, always will be, crazy about you so what did jesus say to this woman after all of that after all the sin of the accusers and the witnesses after dealing with the judgmentalism of those who were eager to throw their stones what did he say to her there were two things actually and they're both equally important the first was simple I do not condemn you. He showed her grace. He released her from what was due. But that wasn't all he said. Then he added these words, stop sinning. Now, he didn't mean pull off sinless perfection. None of us can do that. He meant Turn from the life that has led you to this moment. Because you weren't innocent. Turn from it and see it for what it is. You have been rescued from your sin. Live like it. You're engaged. Stop sleeping around. Stop it. You are better than this. You see, grace bought her a new life. But it wasn't a license to continue on the way that she had been living her life. The grace she received was about a new beginning, a clean slate, a chance to start over. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. Forgiveness means that it did matter. See, that's why it needed to be forgiven. That's why it needs grace. If you have any doubt about how serious our sin is, just remember what it took to address it. It took a death on a cross. Jesus never said that she didn't deserve to die. She did. So do I. So do you. But that's what makes grace so amazing that he took the penalty that we deserve. He took it on himself. 
for those of you in the building today, when you came in, or actually when I got up here, you were given a stone. For those of you watching online, imagine that you have a stone in your hand. Take it in your hand, hold it, and feel it. And let me ask you something. What does this stone mean to you right now? Are you someone who likes to throw these? If we're honest, a lot of us do. Are you hard on people? When someone fails you or lets you down, when they sin against you or someone you love, is your first tendency pull your arm back and let it go? Are you not a safe person? Are you not an easy person to be around? Are you quick to judge, quick to be the victim, quick to find fault? Is that what this rock means to you? Or maybe, maybe this rock is what's already been thrown at you for something you've done. Divorce, adultery, abortion, bankruptcy, maybe an arrest. You've had so many rocks thrown at you that you've started to pick them up and to make them who you are before others and before God. You've even started to throw them at yourself. Or maybe this rock has started to mean for the very first time in your life what, what you really do deserve in light of your sin. Maybe you've kind of treated sin and, and all that stuff as a joke, and you've never taken it seriously in your life. You've never felt like it was a big deal. You've never really felt that in your hand it's what you deserve. Or maybe you do know what your sin means. And this rock is a reminder of just how amazing grace has been in your life and how it continues to be important. You know what Jesus wants all of us to do? If you've been throwing these at others, remember Jesus' words, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. And if you've been holding on to this stone and, and because it's been thrown at you for all those times, remember Jesus' words, I do not condemn you. And if you've been holding on to this rock like it's just a toy, that sin is no big deal, remember his words, stop sinning. We can all drop our rocks because grace really is that amazing. So are you ready to do that this morning? Are you ready to seal that decision before God? to accept His grace, to live out grace in any and every way. Because this one applies to all of us. Every single one of us, no matter if you're up here preaching, singing, no matter what position you hold in the church, we are all sinners. Are you ready to let it go? See, here's what I want you to do in this last song, what I'm going to ask you to do, I want you to take this rock, and I want you to get up out of your seat, and I want you to come down, and I want you to drop it at the foot of the cross, which is where it deserves to be. 
The cross that was purchased for our grace. Purchased our grace through Christ's death. He took the stoning. And then he stopped the stoning. And then he calls us to live stone free. Towards ourselves and towards others. So during this song, get up, take your rock and drop it where it belongs. At the foot of the cross. And then leave it there. Heavenly Father. Thank you that you give us the ability to come to you. To leave those rocks, those stones that have been thrown at us, that we throw at others, to leave them at the foot of the cross where they belong. Thank you for that, Jesus. And we know that when we let go of the stone, it is at that moment when we can sing that it is well with my soul. In Jesus' name.